the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Hello and welcome to ILTV's Zion News and the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up in today's newscast, the Roman Catholic Church now joins the chorus of critics against Israel's new nation-state law. President Trump announces readiness to meet with Iran without preconditions. And the roads are about to get a lot wider here in Israel thanks to a new foldable car. The fallout over Israel's new and much-debated nation-state law continues to build as the Roman Catholic Church in Jerusalem has just denounced the law as completely discriminatory and is urging the government to undo the damage caused to nearly two million non-Jews living in the country. This comes from the Latin Patriarchate of Jerusalem itself, which represents the Holy Roman Catholic Church in the sacred city. Supporters say that the controversial nation-state law merely enshrines the country's Jewish identity into its de facto constitutional basic laws. But the Catholic Church of Jerusalem has joined the chorus worldwide, who accused the text of deliberately excluding both democracy and equality from the legislation, endangering the freedom of Christians, Muslims, Palestinians, and thousands of other minorities living in Israel. Israel's Jeruz community, which serves in the IDF and does civil services, is among the minority that feels insulted by the law. Drew's leaders left a Knesset meeting unmoved by the government's apology, and one Drew's IDF officer is actually summoning all Drews to leave the IDF because of just how hurtful he feels the law to be. Eight former chiefs of Israel's National Police Force have also echoed similar calls, demanding the government change the law because of harm done to the Drews. This legislation has also impacted Israelis who serve as informal ambassadors. A famous Israeli scholar, Yuvai Noah Harari, whose book Sapiens is about to be adapted into a miniseries by Blade Runner director Ridley Scott, is one such example. Harari just refused to participate in an Israeli government-sponsored event in Los Angeles to protest the nation-state law. Despite the growing criticisms, Prime Minister Netanyahu has stressed that Israel should remain proud of the legislation. According to him, it marks a turning point in the Zionist dream of the state of Israel. Netanyahu has dismissed any criticisms against it as a conspiracy by opposition forces. Following backlash against Jerusalem Rabbi Arias Stern, who recently called homosexuals an abomination and deviance, nearly 200 Orthodox rabbis have signed a letter in support of Stern's comments. While now dozens of religious members of the LGBTQ plus community have responded with a letter of their own, excerpts from their letter published just days ahead of the annual Jerusalem Pride Parade state that, quote, We who grew up on the values of love your neighbor as yourself and beloved is the man who is created in the image of God are hurt by the irresponsible disregard, exclusion, and aggression of many of the leaders in the religious public against us and against our brothers and sisters. We call on the members of the various communities, families, friends, teachers, and rabbis to reject the dark and divisive spirit that emerges from the previous letter, uh, increase love, acceptance, tolerance, empathy, and equality, end quote. Joining me now to respond, our former head of the office of the chief rabbi of Israel and a former lecturer in Jewish uh, law, uh, Rabbi Dov Halbertal, and Rabbi Andy Sachs, who is the head of the Rabbinical Assembly of the Masolti Conservative Movement here in Israel. Thank you both very much for coming back in. Uh, so, Rabbi Halbertal, I'll start with you. You know, what, is there no space for coexistence here? Um, it is, but not with, uh, with such, you know, this parade, I would have stressed um, my feelings. It's a kind of rebellion against God. Think, but it's a, it's a celeb- I mean, they see it not as a rebellion, but as a celebration of love. 
How, so where, no, where is this, I, you know, I, I, rebellion against God? What means love? You know, there, there is a Jewish tradition, thousands of years, since the uh, mountain of Sinai. And in all those thousands of years, you never saw, saw, saw such a phenomenon of love, you know, among... Uh, uh, well, women and well, that's, and, and, that's, that's it's not true. It's a new break. Has been around for it's, a very it's, long time. No, no, what means a very long time? You know, in the, in the mean, Jewish since tradition, since ancient Rome, there's there's lots of documents I, I, I showing homosexual the, love the, there in, in Japan the, as well. No, I mean in the Jewish mainstream, you you had never such a phenomenon, and now in the holy city, holiest city in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, uh, to all the religions and especially to the Jewish one. To do such a parade there, it's it's you know it's less one it's 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 something terrible. You it's irrespectable for an insensitive for the uh, religious and the traditional that are they are the majority of the, of okay. this city. It's unbelievable. Right, so it so, never happened before. So I want to come back to you on some of the points that you just made. But first, uh, Rabbi Sachs, I want to get your take on on this as well. well. My take is very different. I think it is indeed a celebration, and in light of the fact that Chief Rabbi has referred to the gay to gay people as an abomination, the fact that uh, Rav Batsri said that bird flu is because of these people and called for a holy war. It's difficult for me to understand how the Haredi world can demand, for instance, of those who think different religiously to abandon the Kotel and go somewhere else. Now the gay community should be abandoning the parade and go somewhere else. The phenomena is across the board in every aspect of the community, and the percentages are no lower in Rav Habertal's world. It's on, the only difference is that those people who are growing up and who are married need to hide it. Uh, would you like to respond before I get back to you? Uh, okay, so, you know, something... I mean, you're talking about blasphemy. In, yeah. in Judaism, blasphemy calls for death. Is that what you would... I no, mean? not at all. No violence. But you have to know well, that... I mean, it, that's the punishment for no, blasphemy no, no, according no, no, to, it, to it, the Torah. It's, it's a, yeah, in the Torah, it's a punishment. But you, you know, it's... It, practically, you, you never use such things. It's not the only... Uh, you know, uh, today you have no such a death penalty. It's nothing, but that, that's not. It symbolizes something. It symbolizes the how far it's a severe sin according to the Jewish tradition, and how far. You know, we. I, I have to. I have to respond in some way to Rabbi Zaks. We live in a Jewish state. A Jewish state is different. From another we live nations. in a Jewish democratic state. That's right. Jewish democratic state. But uh, you emphasize your Jewishness in this place. You mean you have, ho- you have the, sh- the shvute, you know, the, the, the law that brings only Jew- especially Jewish people here. You have all kinds of laws, uh, you know, like in Shabbat, concerning the Shabbat and the kashrut and everything. National, in the army, you have special things for the religious orthodoxy uh, necessities. It means that the Jewishness of the state since the establishment of the states, it, it is based on the tradition of generations and generations. But, and this is a new you know, phenomenon against well, so, so, God, against well, the Jewish again, tradition. I, you cannot accept but here it. We have, you no, cannot so, accept so here we have a letter signed by people who are still practicing religious Jews. 
So how, how can you say that they're against God when they're very clearly opening their arms and saying, we want to coexist, we want to live with you, we don't want to yeah, negate but, your but life? Let, 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 us, let, us, let us say, or let us expect that uh, one group will come and say, we want to marry non-Jewish girls. And they, they, they will make a parade and everything. You will say the same. That they embarrassed you and they, they embraced you and then they have, and you have to love them. It's against well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rebel against the Jewishness. I, you I cannot would, accept uh, it. It's the same. It's Rab- almost the same. It's not really the same. It's almost the Rab- same. Rab- I, I would respond to that by saying first, I think that it's inaccurate to suggest that the gay community is not being punished. Of course, they're being punished. They don't have the same rights in terms of couplehood. They don't have the same rights in, ter- in terms of surrogate parency and the. The violence that is spewed against them, even within the Haredi community, is often problematic. But that the Haredi community can support things like reparative therapy, which can be harmful. We all know it's harmful that they give meds to children to try and cure them. Indeed, these are people in many cases committed to Judaism and the Torah. That's why there's a pride Shabbat with prayer. And as it says in the Gemara, Gadol Kvod Habriot Shidocher Lo Torah that we have to be aware that Kvod Habriot must come first and foremost. Where would you like the gay community to live, to express themselves, and to fulfill their needs? They, they have to be modest. They cannot, you know, they, can, they have those problems, according to the Jewish well, marriage so, okay, tradition. So, so is, they is have the to issue be, here, you know, So is the modest. issue here with modesty, or is the issue yeah, here with homosexuality in the country? No, no, I, of course. I, I, I'm against all those laws towards them. Because, you know, as, as a Jewish state, especially as a Jewish state, you cannot recognize those things publicly and with a, with a Jewish law here or with a non-Jewish law here. You can accept them in some way when they are, you know, quiet and we are modest, not make, so, making parades all over the well, places. But I mean, but they the are argument, Jewish. We are Jewish. Here, it's so anti-Jewish. But the argument that you're making, it, it sounds like, you know, they're fine as long as they're silent. Yeah, they, they are not fine, but they are well, much <laughs> more fine as the, when they are silent. I... I uh, you know, when, when you don't keep Shabbat privately, so you well, don't keep, not keep it privately. Well, but you again, cannot, not keeping you cannot Shabbat make a, is also, you know, You cannot make a public death, transportation according. here. You cannot. It's, you, you understand the difference. You can at home, you can take your car. Sure. Nobody says you nothing. It's not good. Nobody will tell you. All right, well, the same well, with okay. them. The same. Well, final, final comments, unfortunately, because we have to end uh, Rabbi Sachs. Right. I would say that there are many other principles in Judaism, and they are principles to which we hold... Fast, those who embarrass others in public. They this embarrass. Is, they embarrass. This the is Jew, not Iran. They embarrass the parade, all the, all the moment, I gave you your chance to speak. Yeah. In Jerusalem, the parade is modest. It purposely does not go through what we call religious neighborhoods. People rarely dress the way they do in the parade in Tel Aviv. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. There is an attempt by the gay community in Jerusalem to respect the feelings of all the citizens of Jerusalem. And it would be wonderful if there was reciprocity and the Haredi community recognized that the world is much bigger than a small ghetto and that all of us could learn to live together peacefully. Uh, Unfortunately, we have to end it, uh, but uh, I think that's a good place to end it on. Dov Habitat, Rabbi Habitat, and uh, Rabbi Sachs, thank you both very much for coming back into it. Thank you.
United States President Donald Trump has just shocked opponents and allies alike with what appears to be a surprising turnaround on his own Middle East policy. After weeks of threatening rhetoric against the Iranian regime, both in public statements and on Twitter, Trump has just made a surprising new proposal, seemingly offering the exact opposite. LTV's Brett Allen Smith is here with more. Iron, thanks. So until now, President Trump has not minced any words when it comes to his feelings on Iran. I mean, he put those feelings into policy earlier this year, of course, when he pulled America out of the JCPOA nuclear deal. That decision has escalated tensions between the Islamic regime and the United States. Now, here's what Trump has just tweeted to Iran's president last week in all caps. Never, ever threaten the United States again or you will suffer consequences the likes of which few throughout history have ever suffered before. That's the quote. But now here's what Trump has just said when asked if he'd be willing to meet with Iran and revisit the nuclear deal. Take a look. With anybody, I believe in meeting. Uh, the prime minister said it better than anybody can say it. Speaking to other people, especially when you're talking about potentials of war and death and famine and lots of other things, you meet. There's nothing wrong with meeting. We met as you know, with Chairman Kim, and it, uh, you haven't had a missile fired off in nine months. We got our prisoners back. So many things have happened so positive. All right, so now, if I understand this mm. correctly, he's talking about a meeting with Wuhani uh, with no set preconditions, right. likening it to the recent summit with North Korea, correct? Uh, yeah, so just so there's no gray here, Trump himself did clarify that statement with the words, no preconditions anytime they want. So obviously this is a pretty startling offer coming from a U.S. president for a whole number of reasons who has been very clear about how much he does not want to meet with Iran until now. This isn't the first time it's been said, but I think Trump's words even took his own team by total surprise. Almost immediately after saying no precondition, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo actually laid out a list of preconditions to the press. I think even Iran was kind of baffled by this this statement um, because then Iran also laid out their list of preconditions for any meeting that could take place, which obviously revolves around some kind of a return to the original terms of the JCPOA. All right, so... So now let's just play devil's advocate here. Let's say that both sides uh, were to take this offer to heart and agree to a sit-down with no preconditions laid out. Wouldn't that dialogue be potentially a good thing? Or at the very least, could it really do that much more harm? Look, anything can happen, right? But there's a reason that traditionally these high-stakes meetings come with a list of preconditions. One, it makes both parties put skin in the game and take those talks more seriously to begin with. Two, it's something of a power play, right, that kind of sets the tone for future negotiations. I mean, ironically, you don't have to look much further than the example that Trump himself brings up here. I mean, his North Korea summit with Kim Jong-un, I'm not denying that the needle has moved a little bit there in terms of American-North Korean relations, but the lack of strong preconditions for that meeting are definitely not negligible. I mean, literally today, the United States intelligence announced that North Korea is building new missile sites for intercontinental ballistic missiles as we speak, despite the agreement that they signed on paper that Trump and Kim signed to de-escalate. That's not exactly an example I think the U.S. wants to follow with Iran. All right, well, for now, it uh, remains to be seen whether or not the White House will actually seek to engineer a summit with Iranian leaders. Uh, We'll have to wait for the dust to settle on this uh, and see how it'll actually play out and whether or not it'll even really impact Israel at all. Totally agree. Brett, thank you for the report. Of course. Just when you thought the drama over Israel's hosting duties for next year's Eurovision were over, think again. The country's shot to host the acclaimed song competition is once again up in the air due to the fact that the government has yet to allocate the funds needed to make the gig a reality. The public broadcaster Khan says that they need to put down a 12 million euro deposit by the end of the week, but so far that money is still missing in action. Let's make this clear. Eurovision organizers say that if they don't get the down payment within the next few days, Israel may very well lose hosting duties altogether. 
Israel scored the gig following Neta Barzilai's historic win at the song contest earlier this year with her hit song, Toy. There was a huge push and pull over which city would eventually host the event in 2019, but following widespread criticisms that the government was politicizing Eurovision by demanding it happen in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv was informally named as the likely host city. Plans quickly came together, including the formation of an official Knesset committee to oversee the arrangements, but that's where the little issue of who was paying for it and how came up. The Khan broadcaster has requested the necessary funds from the Israeli government. Prime Minister Netanyahu, however, has said that Eurovision would not be paid for by the state, and that Khan would have to make do with their current regular budget. Given the fact that putting on Eurovision costs close to $41 million, though, Khan says that this is only possible if their budget is expanded accordingly. That figure represents over one-fifth of the broadcaster's total budget for the year. Needless to say, this spat needs to get figured out pretty quickly if Israel wants to hold on to its hosting duties for next year. Shared working spaces are nothing new, of course, but even in Israel, the culture of the common cohabitated office can often look pretty uniform. Well, for those who are trying to break into the high-tech sector without leaving their ultra-Orthodox roots behind, the co-working spaces offered by companies like Comatech, Ampersand, and Bismax are where you want to be. The spaces are clean, open, modern, colorful, and bright. All the things you want to see in a comfortable and high-tech office. But these spaces also include strictly kosher kitchen spaces, libraries complete with Talmudic and other religious texts, and even prayer services and Haredi-style happy hours. Some, like Bismax in Jerusalem, even offer gender-separate work areas. But that's not all. In addition to offering a space for workers to do their things, most of these spaces are also offering mentorships, are acting as accelerators, and are helping make connections to other startups in Israel's fast-paced high-tech community. WeWork, the co-working space company based in New York but co-founded by Israeli-American Adam Newman, is but one company helping develop religious co-working spaces, specifically with Comatech, which is based in Nebrach near Tel Aviv. According to interviews with tech news site No Camels, Comatech CEO Moshe Friedman says Comatech focuses on three main areas, training, placement of ultra-Orthodox and bigger companies, and helping Haradim create their own startups. In fact, the space Comatech helps operate in Nebrak is called Ampersand because it's all about connecting people, communities, and Haradim to high-tech. Now aside from the support that Orthodox workers are now being offered, these spaces also symbolize a growing trend in the Haredi community to enter the so-called modern workforce. Currently, only about 52% of ultra-Orthodox men are employed, and only 73% of women. These numbers are vast improvements, but still lag far behind their secular counterparts. Nearly half of the Haredi population even still remains below the poverty line, according to 2017 statistics. Well, thanks to spaces like these, though, and other recent educational initiatives, the growth of this community and the economy may soon surprise you. All right, music lovers, the Tel Chai Piano Masterclasses are back, taking in nearly 100 students from all over the world for two weeks of intense training and study. And if you aren't one of the lucky few who are selected for the class, don't worry, because you can still enjoy the fruits of those classes' labor in one of the many nightly concerts. And here with more is Professor Tomer Lev, the head of the Bachman Meta School of Music at Tel Aviv University and a professor with the Masterclasses this year. Thank you so much for coming in today. My pleasure. All right, so my first, you know, what's, what's in store for the students this year? Um, well, first of all, uh, the students get very, very intensive uh, schedule. They get a, a lesson, individual lesson, er- almost every day. They get a wow. master class every afternoon, and every evening there's a concert. There are competitions, there are auditions, and, of course, there are gala concerts at the end of the course. And uh, for those who come, it's an intensive celebration of piano, piano, and piano, uh, actually, uh, day, day and night, 
Wow. All right. So, you know, what's, what's new this year? Because I know this is, what, the 26th consecutive year? Right. Um, <clears throat> actually, it's one of the most uh, ongoing uh, festivals, well-respected festivals, piano festivals uh, in the world today. And uh, this year, a part of the classical music that is still the heart of uh, the course and the heart of the curriculum study. Uh, uh, the young pianists from all over the world can get also courses in jazz. They can uh, um, get deep into the work of Johann Sebastian Bach and play the harpsichord and right. older instruments. And all, all the and little inventions with yeah. Little inventions, <laughs> bigger pieces. Yeah, I see that you are a real I, connoisseur I, I, yourself. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Oh, right. I, love, I love Bach, and yeah. I could never uh, learn any of his music very well. <laughs> and, and may I say that in this wonderful scenery of the desert, in this wonderful canyon of Stebokir, this is so wonderful to have the opportunity to, uh, to become one with the wonders of nature and the wonders of human spirit that is the greatest uh, pieces of music that ever written. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a very inspiring place to kind of go out into the middle of nowhere and have nothing but intense piano and music focus. I mean, did, you're teaching theory, you're teaching uh, composition, you're teaching. I mean, what are what are what pianist, are you covering? I'm a pianist, and I teach a group of pianists who come there. Um, like all the groups of pianists who come there, some of them are from Israel, some of them are from other countries. With uh, young pianists from the uh, Far East, from the United States, the, from Russia and the post-Soviet bloc, uh, and of course Europe. So it's a very, very nice international community that come together and make music together. All right. Well, that's a beautiful thing that uh, I, for one, can definitely get behind. Uh, for anybody who wants to know more, go www.masterclasses.org.il. And may I emphasize yes. that the concerts in Stebuker are held every evening, and, and they're they are open, they're free to the public. They're free to the public, so yeah. go and check it out. All right, thank you so much, Professor Tomer My pleasure. It's amazing, it's fully electric, and best of all, it folds into a teeny tiny modern size. What am I talking about? No, it's not a new toaster, and no, it's not a spin on the waffle iron, I'm talking, rather incoherently, about a new Israeli car that may revolutionize inner-city traffic like almost nothing we've seen on Earth. A prototype for the car uh, from Israeli startup City Transformer is almost done, and from the look of it, I'd say the future has arrived. You know that tiny, annoying space between two cars parked parallel, where if just one of them would have moved back a bit, it would free up a whole new spot? Well, that little space is more than enough room for this little guy. The self-folding system can tuck it into itself, making the car only about a meter in width. And when parked nose-first against the curb, you can fit four of these cars in a spot taken by one full-size vehicle. And for anyone who's ever driven, the, uh, driven inside the city, particularly any Israeli city, you already know that this is a potential game-changer. Israel's already on record as one of the most traffic-congested nations on Earth. The country's transportation network is decades behind just about every other Western country on planet Earth. And while this ultra-compact vehicle probably wouldn't be used in inner-city highways, it could make driving and parking in the cities a completely new experience. Best of all, City Transformer designed the little guy to be completely environmentally friendly. A full battery can take you nearly 124 miles. They even designed a joystick for navigation instead of the traditional steering wheel, though in the future the company says that these bad boys will be 100% fully self-driving with AI anyhow. Now, clearly the city of Tel Aviv agrees with me and sees the future in this idea. The city's municipality has greenlit a pilot program to put 50 of these tiny four-wheelers on the road sometime next year for further testing. And with a predicted price tag of under 10 grand, I think I can hear all of you screaming at the TV right now, I want one. 
Well, good news, they should go up for pre-order sometime in 2019. The Hebrew Word of the Day is brought to you by IDC Samrul Pan, open to everyone. Now for a Hebrew Word of the Day, be it a car, some clothing, or paper origami, just about everything folds these days. So today's word is lekapel, meaning to fold. Now lekapel can be used figuratively, as in huit kapel, meaning he doubled over or collapsed. And it can also be used literally, as in hukipel gadim, meaning he folded clothing. And then, of course, you can also talk about all the different kinds of folds, too, like kiselt mit kaplim, or foldable chairs. What kinds of kfalim or folds can you think of? Now let's go ahead and take a look at the weather forecast. Tonight should have mostly clear skies with a warm low of 75 or 24 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow is expected to be partly cloudy with little changes in temperatures. The high will be around 87 or 31 degrees Celsius. 